0: You're listening to Working Through It, a storytime podcast with a mental health lens. Is your dramatic past robbing you of a hopeful future? Well, today we're here to talk about it. Welcome back to Working Through It. My name is Sierra and I'm your host. Today, we're talking all about trauma, the four trauma responses that are very commonly found so that you can have a better understanding of ways that you might be responding as a result of past trauma and how they might be impacting you today if you're still experiencing them. I'm very excited for this episode. Before we get into it, though, I got to take a second and just welcome our new listeners. If you're tuning in for the first time on Amazon Music or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, welcome. I'm excited to be here because I know that this is Going to be a great way to be able to engage with you. So, welcome. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. Today, we're unpacking the four trauma responses and helping you to understand a little bit more about some signs that there's some trauma left in your life that you may want to be curious about. Maybe there's some trauma left there to unpack. Before we do that, let me make the disclaimer that there is no such thing as a specific type of trauma. Trauma is not event specific, it is person specific, meaning It's all about how the person experiences that experience. And I also need to make the disclaimer, if you're new here, I always say, and this is true, there are some very common responses that you're going to hear on today's episode. And I have to acknowledge the fact that it does not mean that one is better than the other. These responses were there for a reason. They served you for a purpose to help you survive what it is that you went through. With that said, today's episode is really special because we are talking all about trauma, which is one of the big things that I have worked with and specialized in for years. Before opening my agency, I was the program director for an anti-human trafficking agency. Before that, I helped with a private adoption agency um, that worked with women who were homeless and helping them to find a place for themselves. And then if they chose to put the baby up for adoption, connecting them with a family that could take them. Um, So with that said, Trauma is something that I am very passionate about. I am also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse from a distant family member. Um, and so trauma is something not only that I have am an expert in because of my education, but also because of my own experiences. All that to say, when I'm talking today, I'm going to be telling a little bit of my story, a little bit of some other people's stories, but I want to make sure that I explain that while some of these are really commonly known trauma responses, you're going to want to stick around for the last one because it's not as commonly known, but it is 100% clinically proven. Let's get into it. Number one, the fight response. The fight response is a response that you're going to find with somebody who has usually been through something and they've had to defend themselves. They may, whether it's an emotional or a physical threat, they will oftentimes find themselves feeling very defensive, feeling sometimes even aggressive. Um, And it's a response where once they were in a situation where they were physically or emotionally threatened, they felt they needed to protect themselves. And the best way that they could protect themselves was to combat whatever that was. And so whether it was in an argument or physical threat, um, they fought to get out of that situation. Now, somebody who has that response in a situation where they're not necessarily having a traumatic experience, and like I said before, trauma is person-specific because all trauma is, is your brain is trying to process something, but your nervous system got overwhelmed from the how traumatic that was because your heart rate got to a certain point, which meant that we stopped engaging this part of your brain, started engaging this part of your brain, which is in fight in charge of fight or flight then your brain released things like cortisol and all these other things like adrenaline and your body is no longer trying to figure out how to fix the problem. It just wants to survive the problem and it's gonna do it the best way that it can. And so sometimes that might be to fight. Um, But when you're not in that situation, but you are prone to having that as your trauma response, when you still feel an emotional threat, um, even if it's not traumatic, that person may be very argumentative. Um, They may feel the need to defend themselves when they're in a situation, um, whether that's somebody who sometimes can be physically aggressive. Um, And I do want to say that, you know, prior to um, starting the podcast, I did work with couples. I was a Gottman-trained therapist, which is a type of therapy. Um, But it's really incredible because one of the things that they talk about that I learned in that training with um, John Gottman and Julie Gottman is that when uh, there's somebody who Is abusive or when there's abuse, you want to also look at if it's a characterological. So if somebody has a fight response, you're oftentimes going to see that they tend to want to get confrontational. Okay. So that person may feel like they want to make sure that their point is heard. They want to make sure that you understand what it is that they mean and they're going to continue to combat you in a conversation. If you are that person, That tends to be the aggressor. It might be an indication that you should stop and ask yourself the question. If you tend to go from zero to a hundred, right? Meta emotions like anger are oftentimes considered negative emotions. And I put that in quotations, negative emotions, because all of our emotions are valid. They are there to tell us something, but we have to begin to develop the skill of self-awareness to ask ourselves the question, why am I angry? Not just be like, I'm mad. Let me, let me tell you what I really think asking the question. And so anger is there because there is a goal that we had that was not met. And so a sense of injustice, we will tend to become, um, very angry. And so it's good to just pause and ask yourself, what am I angry about? What is the goal that I had that wasn't met? Whether it was to feel like you were seen, whether it was to feel like you were heard that didn't happen. So you feel like injustice. So then being able to say, I feel like I'm not being heard rather than just saying, you know, you're not listening to me. You never listened to me. Let me tell you what you're going to listen to what I have to say, you know, and I'm not saying that's how you respond. But if you notice that that's how you respond, something to be curious about. Moving on. Número dos. Number two, the avoidant response, which is flight. Now, a person who flies, who is a flight risk, this was me. I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse from a uh, a distant family member. And so when I was going through that, I was very young. It was from the ages of first grade to sixth grade. Um, that was a long time in very crucial developmental years of my life. As a result, I had a tendency to fly, like to try and escape. This person, and I will speak for myself, but I also want to make sure I make the distinction that this does not apply to everybody. But very often when somebody experiences abuse as a child, because you're so small, you cannot physically escape the person if it's somebody who's bigger than you, which most people are adults and things like that. Um, And so you will try to escape mentally. And so this is where you're going to see somebody who kind of dissociates or has a hard time um, staying in a situation. This person may feel like they always want to make sure that they're the one driving. <laughs> they become very controlling. They become the person who wants to make sure that they always have an exit. They're very aware of um when they're not in control, feeling emotionally threatened. And that may be because they need to know that they can escape when they want to. I 100% recognize for myself that that is something that I feel I need. I need to be able to say that I can get out of a situation. Um, And even if it's not something that's horrible, let's say it's even a hangout and I start getting really anxious because I drove with everybody. I didn't get a car until I was 20 years old, 20 I didn't start driving until I was 20. I didn't get a car until I was 22 because I was broke as a joke. Um, and maybe I was 21. Either way, I was, it was a long time that I was bumming rides from people. And I felt really helpless because if they wanted to hang out some more, I had to hang out some more. And as an introvert, that's hard. <laughs> okay. If I'm emotionally drained from hanging out with people, even though I love them, I don't find it, um, I don't find it revitalizing to hang out with people. I enjoy it, but I usually means that I'm pouring out of my cup rather than it filling my cup. And I'm happy to do that. I love it. Spending time with them really does warm my heart. But when I'm done, I'm done. And I've always been that way. And so I think that was really hard for me. With that said, I, as an adult, always make sure I have my car. Even if everybody's driving, I'm like, I'm going to drive myself. I'll meet you there. And it's not because I I don't like the people that I'm with, but I just like being able to have that, that choice for myself. That is a result of me not having a choice when I was younger. I know that about myself. That does not mean that I'm speaking for you, but if that does resonate with you, it might be something you want to be curious about. Okay, moving on. Number three, the common trauma response. Very often you're going to hear fight, flight, or freeze. That's the one. Freeze is an avoidant response. Now, this person is very often going to experience like just the feeling of I couldn't move or feeling speechless in a situation. Um, let's say the ball is coming towards you. You're at a baseball game and that ball is coming right for your head. You're not going to try and catch it. You're also not going to move. You're just going to sit there shocked and it it's going to knock you out. Um, or this person may experience in an argument, they don't know what to say, so they end up saying nothing. Now, in a relationship, when somebody is experiencing that flight response, you're going to see that they very often try to leave the situation. Another thing that I did as a result, when I felt emotionally threatened in a relationship, sometimes I was physically threatened. I was—I am a survivor of domestic abuse. However, um, in I, I'm madly in love, almost going on nine years of marriage. I'm very, very blessed. I'm so thankful for my husband he is a saint. Um, but I will say that before him, I had a tendency to really be back and forth. Um, and I, even with my husband, I, 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 one day we're going to come on this podcast and talk about everything that we've been through. Um, but I will say that even from a young age when I started dating, I think I was like a sophomore in high school or freshman, um, my first serious relationship, I felt emotionally threatened anytime there was an argument and I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to communicate how I felt because that was just not something that I practiced because I carried the secret of my abuse for so long. And so I very often would suppress um, how I felt. And so instead I would just be like, listen, this isn't working for me. And I would cut things off and then I would change my mind because I realized I really liked that person. And then I would get back with them and then I would change my mind and then I would, and I would, these poor guys, these poor kids. I put them through a lot when I was in a relationship because I would, I would, um, coaster a lot and end things and get back together. That was my response because of a flight response that I had. I had to escape that. And the only way that I could was to break things off. Now, thankfully I did years of therapy to work through that and understand that response, but I do want to normalize that, that That served me well at the time when I was young and going through my abuse to um, mentally escape, right? Or physically escape. I had to do it to survive. And sometimes that's what happens in relationships if you tend to be a person who has a flight response. So being able to recognize that is the first step. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. It might be something to be curious about. It might be something for you to consider either talking to someone, talking to a therapist, someone you trust, and really learning how to understand your feelings, how to give them space, how to acknowledge them, and how to really process those things. It's very important. I would say um, I don't think that any of these responses, one is better than the other or one is worse than the other. They're just what you did to survive the best way that you could. Okay, So we've talked about three out of the four trauma responses. We talked about fight, right? That person who may be a little more combatant. We've talked about flight, that person who usually will try to get out of the situation physically or emotionally. And then we've also talked about the freeze response. Now that person who just does not know what to do. They're overwhelmed. They know what they want to do, but they can't physically make themselves do it. And now we are on to number four. Thanks so much for staying with me, by the way. This is the one response guys that I feel like is just now starting to be talked about, but is very, very common. Number four of the trauma responses is fawning. Now, I'm not sure if you know about it, so let me break it down a little bit. This person who experiences or exhibits fawning behavior, right? this is a common response of someone who has coped with a trauma by kind of blending in. They're very different from a freeze response because a freeze response is not necessarily blending in, they're really just staying very like, I'm just, you know, like a deer in headlights. A person who's fawning takes on the characteristics of more like a chameleon as opposed to a deer in headlights. They're going to take on uh, and be more like the thermometer versus the thermostat in the room. So they're going to be very similar. This person may tend to um, change the way that they speak, change the way that they dress change the things that they like in order to fit into a social setting. Um, And so that person, I really think it's important to acknowledge that when you have a tendency to fawn, you also will likely have a very hard time being able to truly understand what it is that you want because you spend so much time paying attention to what everybody else wants. So this person may tend to have a hard time making a decision Making, uh, choosing things that they like, being able to express how they feel because they put everybody else's needs above themselves. And that will sometimes be as a result of something that they experienced when they were younger or as an adult where they were put in a social setting or in a particular setting where the person, they were in an environment where maybe there was somebody who was aggressive. And the best way that they could survive that was to try and just comply. So whether it was... Um, a bully, and they just instead, you know, also ended up becoming a bully just to try and make sure that they were at the bottom of the totem pole. Somebody who has a tendency to struggle being able to express what it is that they want, being able to say what it is that they feel, um, because when they were in an emotionally or physically threatening setting, some point in their life, um, the best way that they could survive that was to really become more chameleon-like. Sometimes when we're developing. Uh, growing up. When we're in a social setting, we're going to you know, start to dress a certain way. You are not broken for having these responses. You are not less than for having these types of responses when you're put in a, an emotional or physically threatening situation. But being able to understand that this is a response that you are reverting to can be an empowering thing because self-awareness is the first part of being able to make actions and steps towards moving into a healing process. And so it's important to be able to say, I have a tendency to fight, flight, freeze, fawn, whatever that is. And then being able to really be self-aware enough to say, okay, now what, what is it What is it that I want to do? And what is it, am I responding out of my trauma and fear or anxiety or, and and being able to say, what is the reality of my situation? Am I safe? Am, is it okay for me? To, do I need to respond this way? Or how can I engage in this in a way that's going to be productive, especially in relationships, um, instead of you know your knee jerk reaction, which may not be necessary because you're not in that trauma anymore. Um, so all that to say, thanks so much for listening. I hope that you know that if you found that this resonated with you, any of the things on the list that we went over, you are normal. It is okay. You are not broken but there is something there to be curious about. And we all have things that we have to be curious about. Nobody has ever arrived. But if this helped you, do me a favor, go ahead and give this a like. And I hope that you'll tune in on the next episode of the Working Through It podcast. Until then, see you later. Thanks again for joining us today, friends. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to do all the podcasty things. Give us a like, share, and follow. That way you can stay up to date and find us right back here with more from Working Through It. Working Through It is a storytime podcast and is not intended for mental health services or advice. If you or someone you know is in emotional distress, contact 988 via text or call to be connected to your local crisis center.